Good to see you. I missed you last week. Not because you weren't here, because I wasn't here. And uh, I'd like to thank Joe. He did a great job last week and uh, just being able to bring a message of hope and inspiration. But it's amazing. It's June. It's June. Time just keeps on rolling, rolling, rolling into the future. Now, June, June 2nd, tomorrow, June 3rd, my birthday. Time just keeps on rolling, rolling, rolling into the future, right? That kind of thing. Days clip off. You've been active. I've been active. Do you know what last Thursday was? Last Thursday was Ascension Day. Ascension Day. Maybe you've never heard of Ascension Day. But 40 days after Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he ascended to the heavens. And uh, they were all baffled. They had seen him come and go for 40 days. The resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ are outstanding. And, it, and, and, he, and he had a litter of, of witnesses to his resurrection. And the whole beginning of the church was uh, because of that eyewitness to his resurrection. But he came to this moment 40 days after. It was on Thursday. And he ascended into the heavens right before them. And they're gawking into the heavens. What in the world's going on? And this was right after he told them to be witnesses and to all the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the angels appeared and said, this same Jesus who has been lifted and ascended from you will come back in like manner as you've seen him go. And so we stand in between the times of the ascension and the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, by the way, if you've got Wednesday nights, to be able to uh, drop in for uh, Mike Bartell's teachings in the book of Revelation. This man has lived in the book of Revelation uh, with his mentor and um, leader, Hal Lindsey. Some of you are familiar with who Hal Lindsey was. One of the first books I ever read that got me excited about being a Christian was Late Great Planet Earth. And uh, so that begins Wednesday night uh, with Mike. Come, even if you're not able to make consecutive nights to the nine uh, times this summer, come and you'll uh, benefit from that. But we stand between the times of Jesus' ascension and him coming again. Now, a lot of times we think that things have changed since Jesus ascended. That he's no longer walking on this earth. But we're going to look at Jesus calling somebody by name today. After the ascension. After the ascension. We've looked at times in this series uh, when Jesus calls my name of Jesus physically encountering people. It was with Mary at the resurrection, right? Zacchaeus come down from that tree. A couple weeks ago we looked at Peter. And Peter being told before the cross that Satan was going to end up sifting him. And there was the, the looking at Martha when Martha was real busy and Jesus uh, called her out on that activity. Today we're going to look at the conversion of Paul, who was called Saul before he was converted to be a Christ follower. But Paul's conversion came after the ascension of Jesus Christ. He was not physically in the presence, but yet Jesus appeared to Paul, Saul, on the road to Damascus. And one of the things that excites me about this whole idea of Jesus appearing post-ascension to somebody is that that could happen to me. 
Now, I'm, I'm not somebody being picked, I know, like Saul was or Paul, that kind of thing. But if Jesus can come and do what he did, that's what the passage we're going to look at today, he can come and do that in your life as well. Through his spirit predominantly, yes, but Jesus is no longer just on a vacation far away to come back someday. He is active, and he said it was to our advantage that he would leave, because if we didn't leave, he wouldn't send his spirit back. His spirit comes, he appears to us, he convicts us, we invite his life into us, and we live with him. This is a dynamic thing that's going on. So you, you follow through the crucifixion, and remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ with communion today, and then the whole resurrection on April 21. We had our Easter celebration, but it's been 40 days after that, and now here was the ascension, and now we move to the future. I like to live in the context of the flow of time because we are still in that flow of time. I had the opportunity the last couple of weeks, and maybe it was mentioned last week if you were here, um, to go to this place. This is our family farm in Indiana. I grew up on that piece of property where all those tall bins and buildings are. And when I go back to visit my mom, which I had the opportunity to go back to the last couple of weeks, that's where I go. I stay in the same room that I grew up in. It's really sort of strange. <laughs> there were some storms in the Midwest this week, and the week before, and the week before, and the week before. My family farms 8,000 acres, and they've yet to plant one acre, and it's June. I was in... The farmhouse, when some storms went through, the first week blew over a 100-foot tower. It actually wasn't that tall anymore. It was down to about probably 60 feet or something. That had been there my whole life, fell on the house. I'm a Californian now, so I thought it was an earthquake. <laughs> now I thought, is this how I'm going to end? I come back for a little bit, and a storm, a tornado takes us out. We were safe from that one, but the following week, a tornado did go close by. Some bad storms. But I sort of like storms because I would walk country roads when I'd see storms off in the distance and it would remind me of the majestic power of God. And if the storms weren't there, there were the stars in the sky. I spent a lot of time walking the country roads around that farm complex. And I would walk the country roads and cultivate my relationship with Jesus Christ. When we talked about Jesus calling Martha, Martha, and Mary taking the initiative to spend time at Jesus' feet, I shared with you that there was some calling anew in my life with the busyness of the last year of Jesus being able to say, hey, I missed my time with you. Come away with me. There's nothing better for me to sort of recharge some of those, those energies in my life, but to get back out on the country roads in which God first began, I believe, speaking to me about um, my calling and how he wanted to use me in life. And so I'm out on these country roads walking, and this was actually on Ascension Day. Um, there's rainbow off to the right. You probably can hardly see it above that last thing. But it reminded me of God's promise and faithfulness. And I was hoping it would stop raining, but they got another inch last night, I understand. So I'm like, Lord, take me out on the road. Let me hear you call my name again. Speak to me. Fuel me for the future as I think about heading back. I was there predominantly because Levi was able to go to a special needs camp for 
Uh, him and all of his Down syndrome buddies go to a, went to a camp, and so um, I was there. I thought about going to general counsel for the Christian Missionary Alliance, decided that wasn't probably going to work out. So I just had this week, and I'm walking, trying to renew my spirit, asking Jesus um, to fuel me. And I got to this one particular place on the country road where I, I remember I, I usually wouldn't walk a straight line on the country road. I would start contemplating, spending time with the Lord, and I would do the zigzag, just spending more time thinking, looking. I didn't want to get back too soon. And I was recalling a particular area of the country roads where uh, this had happened early in my life, and I was crying out to God saying, God, use me. I want to change the world for you and your glory. And so that would be a common theme in my heart. Lord, use me if you're calling me. And, you know, when you're facing another birthday and you get it back around, your siblings are all getting older too, you start questioning as if you're really doing in life what you were meant to do. And so I dared to ask Jesus that question. Jesus, am I doing what you were calling me to do? And just to calm you all, the answer was yes to my spirit. But it, it just caught me because you have these desires and these aspirations with your life, but time just keeps on rolling into the future. And then you get caught up in doing different things. It's like, is this is really what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be doing something else with my life? Jesus, I want to serve you. I felt you called me in life. Yeah, I, I heard my name, and I just need to recalibrate it. Yeah, I need to refuel, but I really need to have some fresh discernment. And in that moment, the fresh discernment on Ascension Day, walking while there's a rainbow that had been off in the distance, looking the farm I grew up in, the affirmation of the Lord to me was, Carrie, I called you to do the work of an evangelist. And as an evangelist, I've always had a heart for church renewal and revival, so it sort of goes hand in hand together. But the work of an evangelist is someone who is always at the threshold of communicating the evangel, which is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that people's lives could be changed. Some people here know that have been around for a while. When I came to this church five years ago, one of my statements is, I don't want to play church. Well, friends, we can not only fall into playing church, we can fall into playing Christianity, too. But Jesus has called you by name, has called me by name, to be involved vitally in his work. When he ascended to the heavens, it was just the moments before there. He says, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Boom, he's gone. He left it. That great commission with us and the promise of the Holy Spirit so that we would be about forwarding the good news vocationally whatever it is you're doing you're called to make you know a living in life that's all great but if you are a christ follower you are called by name by jesus to be a steward of the witness of the resurrection of jesus christ and the power for him to change lives you know one of the i don't want to get too morbid here but you know it's a memorial day weekend when i was gone and um, went to the uh, grave site for where my father is. My mom wanted to place flowers there, so we went. I took her there. My mom's 80, um, what's she, 89 years old? And um, she, uh, I don't think she's 89. I might have that wrong. Um, 
very coherent, very strong lady. She's getting weaker. But we went and we placed flowers at my dad's um, grave site. Died five, six years ago. With my brother and my sister. And we placed them there. And right beside my dad's name is my mom's name. And I, it's always difficult. You're like, Mom, does that sort of bother you? She goes, oh, not really. <laughs> I love my mom. She said, and solidly, she says, well, you know what I was always told, Carrie? You look around in cemeteries, they say this is resurrection ground. <laughs> she has her eye and her thoughts on the future. But beside my dad's name on the other side was one of his brothers, and then the next row was my grandpa, Bowman, who I'd never met. Um, died before I was born. And then next to him, uh, next to Grandpa uh, Wilbur, was great-grandpa Riley. And you start to look at tombstones around, and then there were some others. And then I went the following um, uh, couple days that we took flowers to where mom's mom and dad are. And you start looking around the tombstones, and you see the names of people you grew up with in that community. When you live in a smaller community that hasn't been as transient, like if you live here in Temecula, Marietta, you, you recognize names. Like, oh, I, I never knew that person passed away. You know, that, that person must have been a part of that family. I, I played uh, with one of those names in basketball, or they were a competitor at the other school, county school. And it, it just dawns on you, this whole passing of time and the movement of time into the future. And here we are maybe at the next step in our own life. What's this life all about? What's it for? Well, you start to realize, and my mom would tell you this, her mom died when she was 80 year, 100 years old, and she said one of the things that amazed her the most was how fast it all went. And I'm still going like, Grandma, great-grandma, 100 years old? That's fast, fast. But Scripture says in Ecclesiastics that God has put eternity into our hearts. Because we were not born to die, we were born to live and to live eternally and to live eternally with the God who created us. And we live in this world, we've been given the joys of this world, the opportunities of this world, the recreations of this world, the friendships of this world. But ultimately what it's about is to be in relationship with God. And I am called to be an evangel, someone who is stewarding the good news that we live eternally with God through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And we steward that message to offer hope to one another. This picture here, if I turn the camera from here to there, there's a picture of a house where some neighbors live by the name of Thompson's. And Thompson's had five kids, just like the Bowman's had five kids. We'd ride school buses together. We played on each other's uh, teams, that kind of thing. And my brother, um, Dan, said he recently, uh, I guess maybe last week or the week prior, went to the funeral for uh, Father Roberts, who passed away. And at that funeral, one of the boys, who I didn't necessarily know all that well, I knew maybe he had had some different roads in life that he had traveled. All I knew is he's a big guy, and I didn't want to stand across him on a football field. But um, his name was Brian, and, and Brian shared with my brother Dan. He said, you know, he says, I've been meeting with a pastor recently. I've been going to a church, and God's changed my life. And he says, I was trying to tell my daughter the other day that change is really possible. You can really change. He says, I never knew you could change until what God's been recently doing in my life is I've been seeking Him. 
And my daughter's like, oh, Dad, I don't know if that's really possible. He says, no, it is. Change can happen. And I'm here to share with you today about Jesus calling somebody by name whose life was radically changed. A genuine conversion, real change. And the genuine conversion, real change that happened to Saul, who became Paul, is probably the most radical and decisive and important conversion in all of history. After Paul was saved and regenerated, after he was converted by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus himself, Paul ended up being the first primary missionary in all the world, taking the gospel to other people. He wrote one-fourth of the New Testament that you hold in your hand. But Paul, who was first known as Saul, sorry to keep confusing with that, but I just want you to hang with it, described himself as the worst of all sinners. But yet, he was trying to have the greatest zeal of a God follower that you could ever find. In fact, the reason for this conversion experience is because God needed to stop Paul dead in his tracks, change his life, put him on a new trajectory so that other people could be genuinely changed by a relationship with Jesus and not by a religion of institutional decrees. Because that's the world Jesus came into. A very religious world. But it was a world of do's and don'ts. Stay away from that. You need to do this. Oops, you've gone wrong there. You need to do this kind of ritual, this kind of routine. These are the parts of the institution or, or the synagogue process you need to be a part of. Paul was a Pharisee before he was converted. He was a zealous Pharisee. There were a couple kind of radical people in those days. The ones were the zealots, and they were sort of political. Like, we're going to change the politics, the institutional world, Roman control. And then you had the people who were zealous for the, the faith and the keeping of the Hebrew faith and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and Paul was one of those. And he was so adamant that people would stay true to the religion of the old and not follow this new thing that he would even persecute Christians. In fact, right before the passage we're going to look at in the, God, in the book of Acts, in Acts 9, is Acts 8. And in Acts 8 is the stoning of Stephen. And Saul, at that time, stood by in agreement with Stephen being stoned because of his faith. And so then the chapter turns in Acts. In Acts 1, 2, it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Not like, hey, don't do that. I mean, these were murderous threats, Scripture says, that he was breathing out. Against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, which is up the road, Lebanon. And he says, I'm going to go up there and stamp out those Christians there as well. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and the way is what it was referred to at that time, Christianity. They weren't even called Christians yet, Christ followers. They were known as people who were the way, the true way. It's like, oh yeah, you think you're part of the true way? 
there's not something new. We need to stay with something old. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. That was his goal. So he's leaving Jerusalem. He's heading north. He's on this road to Damascus. He's got letters in hands from the powers that be to basically arrest and seize people who have become a part of the way. Jesus followers. And he was doing it all with religious pride. I am doing God's work. That's why I'm doing this. How dare you go off in those kinds of tangents? How dare you follow this would-be Messiah? He was from Nazareth. He was crucified. A hideous death. Paul, full of all of his competence. He was a very smart man, very well-educated man. He is on his way to Damascus to do God's work. As he neared Damascus, verse 3, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice call his name. Say his name. I'd like to, you know, turned on the phone at that moment and recorded it, right? No phone. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. A couple things here. It doesn't say that the God of heaven spoke. It says that Jesus spoke. Who are you, Lord? And the word Lord there can be just a a common reference to sir, or it can refer, it's the word kairos, it can refer to lordship as well. We're going to talk about that in a second. But who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Now, why is this significant? Because I believe one of the challenges in our day today, as we seek to be evangelists and hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ for the power of salvation of all those who believe, is we get caught up in a lot of church talk. We get caught up in a lot of God talk. And it's not that it's bad. I want people to come to church. I want people to know the great God who is. But friends, I want people to know Jesus And if you start to use the word Jesus today with people, it's a much different response than if you're talking about spirituality or the God that might be. Because Jesus, the name of Jesus, the reality of Jesus is divisive. It's like Jesus. He died. No, he's alive. Paul thought he had died. He was trying to stamp out the followers of this Jesus who was crucified Yeah, he probably heard about these resurrection accounts of other people, but that just doesn't happen. And on this road, he's blinded, he's struck, and he's called out by name by Jesus post-ascension who comes to him, reveals himself in that moment, and then speaks of a very personal thing. Paul was trying to persecute Christians. But what does Jesus say? You are persecuting me. 
That's how closely Jesus is aligned with his followers. That the persecution of a Christian is as persecuting Jesus Christ. Now, if I had time today, I'd like to go off and park about the persecution of Christians today. Christians are the most persecuted group of people in the world today. I mean, what was it that happened on Easter? 300 people in Sri Lanka were murdered during church. 500 hurt. But that's just the, the, a little bit of a, 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 of a num, number compared to all the numbers of people that are being persecuted, killed, and maimed, and tortured because of their faith in Jesus. Whether media is overlooking it or it's just become old news, Persecution goes on around this world all the time. And whether it's persecution unto death or persecution unto being ostracized at your workplace or in your family, all who call on the name will be persecuted. But know this, Jesus identifies it as persecution to him. Is somebody persecuting you right now? When you pray to Jesus, Jesus says, I know they're persecuting me. And there's a lot of persecution of Jesus going on in our world. But yet the hope is still offered there. The hope that was talked about on this stage last week, the hope that is found through the person of Jesus Christ, the hope that the Apostle Paul found is the hope that our world needs. But they're resisting it. They're persecuting it. They're maiming the name of Christ. And our culture with the drift that it is is only getting worse, it appears even in Western civilization. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Paul was doing it. Standing by as Stephen was stoned. He was got, you know, going to make arrests to pull people back to Jerusalem, throw them in jail, trying to get them to debunk the faith in Jesus. You ever thought about if Jesus appeared to you in a blinding light? Because I had to think of it. I knew I was speaking on this week. I was out on my country roads walking. If Jesus like did come with a blinding light to me at this moment, what would he say? What would he say to me? Would he give me the affirmation I was on the right path in life? Or would he say to me something like he said to the Apostle Paul? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? You see, the persecution that Saul was doing was the angle of which he fell. But each of us fall in different ways in our faith as well. Maybe he might say to you this morning, Bob, Sally, Jennifer, Harold, Why are you ignoring me? Why are you dismissing me? Why are you defaming me with the way you're living? Jesus knows us and calls us by name, and he observes how we treat him by how we treat others and how we live for him. Now, one of the reasons I can put this out there to you is you're here in a room today. I know that you're not ignoring Jesus. You're here to worship Jesus. You're here to hear from his word, to be challenged, to be able to go out and live with him more. And so that's good news. That's good news to Jesus. 
to all of us, to me as a pastor, you're here in this room. But it's not the people that are outside the room that maybe are far from being interested in following Christ that Jesus would appear to. I believe Jesus appears to Christians today because why? Paul was one of those. He was a religious person. He was a religious person who felt that he was being very devout. And in his devoutness, he had gotten off track. And sometimes Jesus needs to come to us and prod us and speak to us. Carrie, Carrie, why are you not doing the work of an evangelist? Uh, well, because it's been a really busy year. We transitioned churches. We had a lot of construction to do. Uh, you know, we had a lot of other things in fold. And people... Carrie, Carrie, why are you not doing the work of an evangelist? Well, I have been doing the work of evangelist, Lord. You know, you start to go around and work your angles. But it's a convicting thing when you feel the Lord speaks to you, when you feel like you've been laying your life down for him. And I would say to you in this whole chapter and this speaking back into my life and maybe speaking into your life as you're digging out your ears to hear from Jesus afresh and anew as a Christ follower today is that we need to be at it when it comes to presenting the gospel to bring change into people's lives. People need change. People need to be converted. Oh, that's sort of an intrusive kind of word. We're trying to just be nice to everybody. Everybody's got their own thing going on in life. That's good. You know, here's a little bit of idea. Maybe you'd like to come to church. Maybe you'd like to, you know, consider God, whatever. No, friends, if people do not have Jesus as the Lord of their life, they need you to be one who shares good news with them. And the good news includes bad news that we're sinners and that we need to have repentance and change and follow a new way. The way. The one that Paul was trying to snuff out. And the way is the way of Jesus Christ. And what happened on the heels of this lightning blinding experience was Paul was radical. People were fearful of Saul. He was persecuting people, standing beside as people were murdered. He was walking into synagogues. He was infiltrating. He was a spy. And all of a sudden, he does a 180 on the Jesus thing, and he's now a Christ follower? What in the world was happening? We're going to pick up a little bit of the rest of the passage in a second, but I want to highlight just a few aspects of genuine conversion, real change. Whether for your life, for a family member's life, for a co-worker, for a neighbor, for a stranger, we need to be clear on this. For genuine conversion and real change to happen, we must acknowledge that salvation is by divine initiative of Jesus himself, not by laborious initiatives of a sinner. That's a big sentence simply to say this. Jesus is the one who saves people. You do not, I do not. But Jesus is active in this world to reveal himself to people if they will but choose to begin listening to the still small voices and observe the world around them. Jesus is the one who appeared to Saul. And Jesus is the one who will appear to your friend or your son or your daughter. Jesus is the one who is taking the initiative. 
And they need to know it's not their initiatives of getting their act cleaned up or doing all the right rituals and routines like Paul was seeking to do as a Pharisee. Jesus is the one who takes the initiatives. And the laborious initiatives that this world puts on people to become good people, to become spiritual people, maybe even to become Christian people, is not the pathway of God. The pathway of God is by divine revelation. But that divine revelation comes in different ways on this side of the ascension. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Who wrote that? Paul wrote that. Why did Paul write that? He used to be in the former camp. It was works. Have I gone to church enough times? Have I read my Bible enough times? Have I, I prayed enough times? Have I stayed clear from, from those things on the internet? Have I done this? I mean, all the kinds of do's and don'ts. You think you're going to add up? Here's my good works, God. You can accept me. No, he says it's not by the works. It's not by the laborious initiatives of the sinner. It's by divine intervention of Jesus Christ. Not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. It's not in the works righteousness, it's in the power and the person of Jesus Christ himself who appeared to Paul and it can appear to you and to your friends. Salvation is found in no one else. No other religious pathway. Don't be confused. If truth is really truth, then it's not multiple truths. That wouldn't be truths, now would it? Truth, by definition, is exclusive. And so salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given by man by which we must be saved. And this is put out there not as a heavy word. This is put out as a hopeful word. There is no other name in all of them but Jesus by which you are saved. And your life today, this morning, can be, yes, converted, can change through the power of that name. Paul himself wrote this in 1 Timothy but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners. What was his identity? Wow, I was really headed the wrong way, even when I thought I was a spiritual person. The worst of sinners that Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Number two, genuine conversion, real change. Salvation comes through a direct encounter with Jesus, not barely by exposure to truth. What I want to say is this. You stay at it with your friends, with your relatives. You encourage them to think differently, to position them with truth. But I tell you what, you can have all kinds of discussions. You can have all kinds of truth. Some of you are adamant witnesses, and you engage people even in difficult, challenging things of the faith apologetics, defending for Christ. But I tell you what, they can get a bunch of loaded lumber in their head, have questions answered, have discussions, dialogue, debate, all this. But you need to know this. When you're looking at someone and you desire for them to be changed, they need to encounter Jesus. And so when you go back to your prayer closet and you pray, pray specifically for Jesus to intervene and reveal himself to that person. Have you ever tried to share your faith with someone and it's like smack? It just bounces right off of them? 
And you do it again. Smack, bounce, and you just forget it after a while, right? But then you still care for them. Well, take your initiative, but maybe the initiative isn't as much the encounter in that particular season of life as it is stepping back and praying sincerely that the adversary, Satan, would not be able to thwart God's will in their life and that Jesus would reveal himself to them, whether through another person, whether through an event in life, even if it's traumatic kind of thing. Jesus, I want you to reveal yourself to my friend, my family member who I want to see saved. Because salvation comes through direct encounter with Jesus, not merely by exposure to truth. This is where I get tripped up a little bit or concerned sometimes with us as Christians and doing church work. In fact, the very reason I'm in this series on when Jesus calls you by name. Because I know that there's a lot of people that know positional truth. I know people that were even in seminary that were pastors and have walked away from the faith. It's hard for me to comprehend how do you do that. People who used to proclaim faith in Christ and now they're atheists even? How does that happen? We can go off in that discussion, but here's one of the questions I have. Did they really encounter Jesus? Did they really encounter Jesus, or were they just encountering propositional truth? I want people to meet Jesus in this church. The people that were... Early followers of Jesus, they didn't have a lot of academic degrees behind their names. They were not weak, simpleton kind of people, but they lived a simple life. And the education which they had, they had. But they met Jesus. And they changed the world because of the personal, exclusive identification they had with Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection that they were witnesses to. So we, if we want to see genuine conversion and real change, it's okay, I believe, you may disagree with me, it's okay to question somebody if they don't seem to have changed as if they've really met Jesus. Because if Jesus comes and changes the heart, he begins to change the life. There's conviction about sin. You can't hold on to certain things in our world. Cognitive beliefs or, 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 or maybe platforms of uh, politics or something. I'm not saying anything other than to say this. When Jesus lives within you, he begins to change how you think, how you live, what you aspire for. And I believe there's a lot of Christians, a lot of church sitters that need to be saved. And that's not knocking on anybody, even if that sort of feels like a little knock on you today. I just ask you, have you encountered Jesus like Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, has he changed your life? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He said this in response to the disciples who said, well, where are you going? What's going to happen here? Jesus is the initiator of salvation, and Jesus is the encounter people need to be saved. Third thing I want to say is this. Salvation involves deep surrender to the lordship of Jesus, not just belief and acceptance of his name. I could park a whole series here. 
I got in trouble here in my early years as a college career pastor when I was debating a professor from Dallas Theological Seminary on this discussion in an open forum in the lobby of a dormitory. Does Jesus need to be Lord in order to be your Savior? That's the thing that's debated. Well, I'm just going to simply say this concerning Paul. Paul, when he cried out, Lord, Lord, I believe the Kairos wasn't a sir, sir. There's a traumatic change that happened with him. And it was a deep surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. I have yet to see a lot of traumatic change in someone's life who toys just with a simple fire insurance kind of point of salvation. I'll do enough just to get into heaven. But when I see people that fall in love with Jesus and pursue him and that radical change, then I see, I see transformation. Salvation involves deep surrender to the lordship of Jesus, not just belief and acceptance of his name. If you're to go on and read in this passage in Acts, Paul's blinded, fast for three days. A community of people sent to him, beginning with Ananias, people that were like, oh my goodness, he would torture us, he'd kill us, and they risked their very life to walk in to take care of Saul after this Damascus Road experience. The story unfolds there in chapter 9, but what you see unfold in chapter 9 is someone who surrenders everything to this Jesus who he was persecuting. And if you're doubting why there's change in your life, just go back to the surrender issues. What is it that's hard for you to surrender and yield it to him even today? Two more just in conclusion. Salvation brings one into the community of Christ's body, not into isolation by the rejection of the world. The Apostle Paul was accepted into the church community. And salvation leads one, yes, into opposition with the things of the world. But salvation leads one into the beautiful experience of the community of Christ. Where you will find encouragement, you will find hope. Some people do when they commit their life to Jesus, especially if you come out of a Muslim faith. Family is rejecting them because they claim the name of Christ. So persecution will come. There will be isolation, but it's not mere isolation all by yourself. It's being immersed into a community of people who are Christ followers. And Paul experienced that in his genuine conversion and his real change. And those people then began to continue to influence to change his life through the power of the Spirit. And fifth, Salvation calls for individual response. It's a call for an individual response to follow Jesus. But it's not an individualistic, an individualistic decision without witness to others. Every time Jesus calls somebody by name, it's not just for their own good and personal transformation. It's so that they can be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, 
Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul became a radical missionary. Have you become a radical witness for Jesus just in your own networks of people that you know? Genuine conversion, real change. It happened to Paul post-ascension. It can happen to you. It can happen to your friends. It can happen to your enemies. Jesus is still changing lives today, and that's what we need to be about. We need to be on it. Because in all things, we are called by Jesus. We are called to Jesus. We are called to obey. We are called to community. We are called to serve, and even at times, called to suffer. But this is the journey that we're on as Christ followers. And this is the journey that we as a church need to hold out as hope to our valley. For more and more people, people leading people, to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says this, As God's co-workers, we urge you to receive God's grace in vain, that you not receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the same way, time of my favor I heard you, And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote that. You ever think about what it had been like to meet the Apostle Paul on the other side of his conversion? He had an edge to him. It was an edge stronger than the one he had when he was persecuting Christians. But his edge was an edge of one baptized in an immense amount of love for people. And we too need to be immersed in that. If we were to look at these verses, and Joe's going to come and we're going to close here in a second. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, is what's on your screen. But if I was to drop back just a few more verses... He says this in chapter 5, verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, (laughs) we do so no longer. That was the old life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message and the ministry of reconciliation. For we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, as God's co-workers, we urge you 
not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Will you pray with me? Lord, I ask in this moment through the power of your spirit who dwells wherever two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, that if you've spoken a word of conviction to someone concerning their point of salvation today, that they would not leave this building until they have surrendered to you, until there has been a sense of a deep conversion, a surrender to your lordship so that change may come. They came with a friend. They could talk to them. If no friend, that they would come to the front after the service and that they would be able to pray with someone here. Jesus, today is the day of salvation for someone maybe here. But Lord, even more importantly, Dad, is to the world that's not here, to those who are lost, that need to be changed as you changed Saul into Paul. We pray, God, that you would make us your ambassadors, that we would be witnesses to the power of your resurrection. We will be the only Bible that some people read. Jesus, may we get off our last gadaisical indifference sometimes, myself included, and be evangelists, carriers of your good news so that people can encounter not just truth, but the one who is the truth, that they can encounter you, Jesus. So we pray, God, for divine initiative, that you would reveal yourself to those that we love, that you would enable us to lead them to a point of encounter with you, that, Lord, that there would be all-out surrender and incorporation into your community of believers and an impassioned spirit like Paul had to be an ambassador of your salvation. Lord, I thank you for the attentiveness today. Continue to fill us as a people. May we do that good and faithful work because you have called us by name.